0: Good morning, everybody. Oh, that's pretty good. First service was a little better. I'm not going to lie to you. They surprised me today. They actually responded back to me today. So (laughs) it's good to be here with all of you guys. Uh, My name is Jerry. I am the campus pastor here at Genesis Carmel. And if you're new or visiting, we would love to connect with you. Um, Nikki said this, we've been studying through the gospel of John this year as a church family. And we've made lots of amazing discoveries about who Jesus is and what he's come to do. And so I want to invite you to study with us this morning by turning to John chapter 11. We're going to be in John 11 today, and one of the things that we've seen for the last five months that we've studied Jesus' life is where he went and what he did and what he was like and how he interacted with people, but we've also seen how he has performed some pretty amazing miracles, right? If you remember, his first miracle was changing water to wine at a wedding. That was pretty amazing. He's healed people up close. He's healed people from afar. Um, a few weeks ago, we saw how he He fed five, like several thousand people with just a loaf of bread and some fish. He gave sight to a man that was born blind. And so these miracles are amazing. The problem with the miracles is some of us see them and think, oh man, this is amazing. This is uh, clearly, this is God's power being released through Jesus and it strengthens our faith. But then some of us see these miracles and think, I don't know. I don't really think it happened like that. I don't think things like that can happen. And so we have doubts or we're skeptical. And that's okay, it's okay to ask questions and even have doubts and skepticism. But the the question is, what do you do with that? How does it shape the way you approach Jesus? How does it shape the way you view Jesus? Because how you respond is either a good thing or it can be kind of dangerous. Let me give you an example. Thomas Jefferson, right? One of our most well-known founding fathers. He's one of the principal authors of the Declaration of Independence. He was the third president of the United States of America. Amazing man history. He's taught us a lot of amazing things about this guy. But history has also taught us that he had a profound appreciation for the teachings of Jesus of Nazareth. And all of that sounds really good. You're like, well, gosh, he would fit in right. He would fit in here at Genesis perfectly. But there's one small catch. Jefferson grew up during the period of enlightenment, which encouraged a form of thinking that valued reason, logic, and individualism over things like faith and belief. And apparently his upbringing during the enlightenment really impacted the way he approached things of faith, the way he viewed Jesus. And so at the age of 61 in 1804, Thomas Jefferson took it upon himself to come up with his own version of the Bible. And so here it is. It's called the Thomas Jefferson Bible, the life and morals of Jesus of Nazareth. You can go and get it on Amazon or at any bookstore, but I want to encourage you to not do that. And here's why, because here's what Thomas Jefferson did. He took a pair of scissors And he read through the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and he cut out anything that was miraculous. He kept all the teachings, but cut out all the miracles. And let me show you what one of the pages in his Bible looked like. This is no lie. I've seen this Bible before. He literally cut out huge sections and would tape things back in. He just did not want, he didn't know how to deal with the miraculous. So he cut it out of the story. And so in Jefferson's Bible, it does not include 34 distinct miracles that Jesus performed, It doesn't include Jesus's virgin birth. That's a big deal. It doesn't include his resurrection from the dead. And so in all the versions of his gospel, Jesus died, is laid in the tomb, the stone is there, and that's the end of the story. Now, that should bother us, especially those of us that follow Jesus, because if you take away the power of the resurrection of Jesus from scripture, I hate to tell you guys, we're just wasting our time. And we're wasting our money when we give it to things, because the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is it's the foundation of what we believe to be true. But some of us wanna take the path of Thomas Jefferson and say, well, let's just cut those things out and let's just be good people and do what Jesus said to do, but it doesn't really work that way. And so in John 11, we're gonna see a story today where Jesus performs an amazing miracle that I don't know if you say this made the cut or didn't make the cut, it was cut out of Jefferson's Bible. I think it's the most amazing miracle that Jesus performed leading up to his resurrection because here's a spoiler alert, he's gonna raise a man named Lazarus from the dead today. He's dead and he says his name and he comes to life. But here's what's really fascinating. Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead was a preview of his own resurrection that he had been predicting for three years up to that point in time. And so I realize as we go to jump into this story today, that for some of us, this is a very familiar story and you could probably repeat a lot of the details back to me and that's good. And some of us are gonna be hearing this for the very first time, But I wanna pray and ask the Holy Spirit that he would give us a fresh perspective on it. I wanna pray that he would teach us what we need to hear and that it would impact the way that we live, that we would take hold of the resurrection life that Jesus has for us. So would you pray with me real quick as we jump in? Father, we thank you for today. And we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit living inside of us through faith in Jesus. We thank you for the gift of the church and your word. And Holy Spirit, we pray today as we study this amazing miracle, would you help us to see Jesus in a brand new way today? Would you bring our faith in Jesus to life? Would you help those of us that have been following you for a while to remember that it's very important that through faith we embrace this resurrection life and live it right now? But I pray for those, those of us that are on the fence of faith and we don't know what to do with the miraculous. I pray what John would pray in his gospel, that by seeing and hearing, we would believe. And so I pray that you would take people that are far from you and you would call them close to you today, Holy Spirit. Jesus, we love you when we ask all of this in the power of your name. Amen. So before we jump into John 11, let me tell you how John 10 ends because there's some important details that you need to know. So in John 10, Jesus gets in a scuffle with the religious leaders. This has happened on occasion, right? And they pick up rocks to stone him again. That's what happened at the end of chapter eight. It's what's happened at the end of chapter 10. And so Jesus and his disciples have to get out of town. So look at John 10, verse 40. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. Now I wanna show you on a map where some of this took place because it's gonna piece some things together for us today. And our map's a little off, like there's really no cities in, in the river, so I apologize about that, but... John 11 is taking place in the city of Bethany. It's about a mile and a half outside of Jerusalem, okay? So this is where John 11 is taking place. But what John just told us is he and his disciples, Jesus and his disciples had to come and live somewhere over in this region. And here's why that's important. Because the pressure to kill Jesus is here. Jesus moves over here, not too far away. He's close enough if he needs to get in town quick. And that's a really important detail to the story. So look at verse one, chapter 11, verse one. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister, Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Now that's a story we're going to read about next week in John chapter 12, verse three. The sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now this is an interesting detail. This is the first time that I, I think that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are mentioned in John's gospel. But if you read the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you read about Mary and Martha a lot. In fact, Jesus was in their home a lot. And so you get the sense that this is a really special family to Jesus. Can you imagine entertaining Jesus on a regular basis in your home? I mean, they were good friends with him. And so Mary and Martha send this message to Jesus that their brother Lazarus was sick, but they don't say, hey, our brother Lazarus is sick. They say the one you love is sick. Now, Kent Hughes notes that the word used here for love here is the Greek word phileo, phileo, which is used to describe a close personal friendship with someone. It's kind of the relationship between two best friends. It's similar to the Greek word phileia that means brotherly love. And so you get the sense that Jesus and Lazarus were really close friends. And so these sisters send this message hey, Jesus, your good friend who happens to be our brother, wink, wink, is sick. So you get the sense that they're saying, can you please come do something about this problem? Look at verse four. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. So when Jesus gets this message that his friend Lazarus is sick, he says, this isn't gonna end in death. You get the sense that he's getting ready to spring into action and to do something about it. And you would expect the next line to say, and Jesus got out of town quick to go help this family, but that's not what it says. Look at verses five and six. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Jesus loved these people so much that he wasn't in a hurry. He loved them so much, he was gonna let them wait. Have you ever felt like Jesus loved you that way? When I was in high school, uh, middle school, I ran cross country and track and every day my dad would pick me up from practice. Every day, like clockwork. He got off at the same time. I I knew when to be in the parking lot to meet him. Well, one day... He didn't show up, and thirty minutes goes by, and sixty minutes, ninety minutes go by, and I'm starting to get hungry. It's dinner time, and I'm like, "What's going on with my dad?" And We didn't have cell phones, so I had to borrow a quarter and go to a payphone and click, 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 click. It took like thirty minutes to dial the phone. You remember that? So I call home, and I'm like, "Hello!" And my dad, my dad picks up the phone. <laughs> "Hello!" And I'm like, uh, "Hey, dad, it's Jerry. What are you doing?" Oh, we, as in your mom and your three siblings, we're eating dinner like we do every night. Usually you're here. He doesn't say that though. He's like, yeah, we're eating dinner. And I'm like, dad, you forgot me. You left me at school. And he's like, oh, we're so sorry. Your brother, Matt, has a game in an hour. We'll come pick you up then. And I'm like, I'm hungry now. But there was a click. He didn't care. So I'm at school waiting. And I've been dealing with this in counseling for many years. Like, dad, come on, you love me. Come and get me, right? I think that's kind of what's taking place here in John 11. Like, where are you? You're gonna come and get me, right? Have you ever had Jesus love you that much? So much that he took his time to come and help you. Your life is upside down. Your marriage is going up in flames. You've lost your job. You've got a diagnosis that isn't good. Something's going wrong and you are begging Jesus. I need you to show up and fix this right now. And he's nowhere to be found you're not even sure that he got the message and you're not, you don't think that he's coming. I, I get the feeling that that's probably how Mary and Martha felt in the midst of their grief. But before we make any poor assumptions of Jesus, let's keep reading the story. Look at verse six. So when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. And then he says to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Listen to what they say. But rabbi, A short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you want to go back. And so they're like, we've got a different perspective on this. There's people there that want to kill us. We shouldn't do this. Okay. Look at verse 11. After he said this, Jesus went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Now let's jump out of this for a second and just put ourselves in the story. Two days ago, Jesus gets a message that Lazarus is sick. He doesn't do anything for two days. And he's like, all right, guys, time to pack up. We got to get to to Bethany to go help our friend Lazarus. And they're like, "Uh, not a good idea. Those people want to kill us. Remember that? You remember that, right, Jesus? And he's like, yeah, I know. But Lazarus is asleep and he needs me to go wake him up. And they're like, "Uh, if he's asleep, he's fine. He Like when you're sick, you should sleep. We don't need to go. We don't want to die, right? You can appreciate their perspective on this. Like, "Uh, we can't wait a couple more days, right? Look at what Jesus says, verse 13. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So right away, we see that Jesus views death differently than all the rest of us. The disciples didn't wanna die. Lazarus didn't wanna die, but Jesus says, well, I'm talking about, oh, so, I'm sorry, verse 14. So he goes on to tell them plainly, Lazarus is dead. He's dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Jesus admits, he goes on the record as saying, yeah, I know, I've waited two days and now it's time to go. And I'm glad that we weren't there when this happened so that you may believe. Now I would start asking some questions. So when you say that I may believe, that I may believe that you're taking your time to go help your good friends so that we may believe that you love us so much that you want to go to a place where people are going through throw rocks at us and try to kill us. Like, what am I supposed to believe here, Jesus? I wonder if some of these guys started questioning their friendship with Jesus. Like I just don't get the way you treat people you love. How's this how's this going to work? Look at verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for 4 days. This is an important detail. There was a popular Jewish belief in that time that when someone died, their soul would hover around their body for 3 days in hopes of being able to reenter the body and come back from the dead. But after three days, the body would start to decay and the soul, they believed that the soul would leave and now you're just dead. So when John tells us that Lazarus is dead for four days, he's letting us know, this guy's not on life support. His body would have started the decaying process. In fact, if you, if you line up the timeline, it's possible that when Jesus got this message that Lazarus was sick, he had already died. So it had been a few days. The point is everyone knew that Lazarus was dead. Look at verse 18. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Verse 21, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. Let's stop here for a moment. Can you appreciate Martha's disappointment there? Jesus, we're good friends. I've seen you do amazing things. If you had been here, I believe that Lazarus would still be alive. Have you ever had a moment like that with Jesus? If you had just been here, this wouldn't have happened. In fact, I want to give you an opportunity to fill in that blank. Jesus, if only you had, if only you had protected me better when I was a kid. Jesus, if only you had allowed my parents to stay together. If only you had helped me pass that class. If only you had helped us caught the symptoms sooner. Jesus, if only you had done the thing that only you could do, everything would be different for me right now. And I don't know about you, but I'm I'm willing to admit I'm there often. Jesus, if only you had. That's a tough place to be, isn't it? Because it feels like he's letting you down. And when Mary comes later, the other sister comes, she says the same thing that Martha said, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would be alive. But it wasn't just the sisters. Look at what the community of people was saying in verse 37. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? And so all the people are looking at Jesus and they're like, man, you really blew this one. You should have been here. They sent, you, they sent word to you a long time ago, like we all know that you could have done something about this why didn't you get here sooner well let's go back and look at this conversation verse 21 lord martha said if you had been here my brother would not have died but listen to this in verse 22 but i know that even though now but i know that even now god will give you whatever you ask now i think that there's something really important to see here from martha's perspective because Her first statement, she's expressing her disappointment and her hurt and her grief. But in the very next breath, she's saying, but I believe in you, Jesus. I believe that you can take this awful circumstance and you can bring something of it. Now this theme of faith and belief in Jesus is repeated over and over and over throughout the gospel of John. It's one of the main themes. And here, Martha is modeling her faith and her belief in what Jesus can do. And I want you to see how Jesus responds in verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And then Martha answers, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now, get this. Martha, in a conversation with Jesus, Starts repeating her theology to Jesus, her belief in God to Jesus. Yes, Lord, I know that He will rise again. I know at the end of time, God will raise Him up again. I'm looking forward to that. Now, it's a good thing to repeat our theology. That's actually really good theology. It's a common Jewish belief that at the end of time, God will resurrect the dead. It's a key pillar. It's a, it's a major doctrine in the New Testament that Jesus and his disciples and all the writers of the New Testament talk about. There will be a day when God will raise the dead and Martha's saying, yeah, that'll happen one day, but it's too late right now. My brother is already dead and it can't be undone. And so I'm glad that you're here, but can you make something good out of the mess of this, out of my life right now? And that's how we look at death, isn't it? When someone dies, we look at each other and say, well, they're in a better place. You'll get to be reunited with them someday. And we mean well. And if your faith is in Jesus, those are not wrong things to say. But what we're getting ready to see is that Jesus views death very differently than all of the rest of us. Look at verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life the one who believes in me will live even though they die. Verse 26, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Now in the last several chapters, we've seen Jesus start to make a lot of these I am statements, claiming to be God. And then he goes and he backs it up. So after feeding a crowd of people, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And then he says, I am the light of the world, and he gives sight to a man that was born blind. He had walked in darkness his whole life. And he says, I'm the light of the world. Gives this man his sight. Last week Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And now he is standing at the grave of his very good friend Lazarus, and he is saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Now he doesn't say, Hey, good news, I understand the resurrection and the life. Or I have the resurrection and the life. He doesn't say that. He says, I am the resurrection. And And so that means to know Jesus is to know the resurrection and the life. And to have Jesus is to have the resurrection and the life. And I love how N.T. Wright summarizes this. He says, Jesus is letting Martha know that resurrection isn't just a doctrine and it isn't just a future fact, it's a person. And Jesus says, that's me. That's what I've come to do. So look back at this conversation, verse 25. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this, Martha? Verse 27, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God, who has come into the world. Now in verses 25, 26, and 27, the word belief is used four different times. Jesus explains what it means. And then he asks, do you believe? And Martha says, yes, I believe. Now that's an important part of this story. And I want you to keep reading so you can see what else happens. Verse 32, when Mary, the other sister, reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. This isn't a casual conversation. She's tore up with grief. She falls at his feet and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I don't think we can appreciate the grief and the emotion in that statement. 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, pay attention, says he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Now I want you to pay attention to these two words or these two phrases because deeply moved in the Greek comes from a word that means to vent a fierce anger. It's often associated with an angry snorting sound that an animal would make. It's not a pleasant sound. And then to be troubled means to experience great distress or to be agitated. And so John's telling us that Jesus is expressing some serious emotion here. Brad Gray says the best word to describe this emotion is outrage. Have you ever pictured Jesus being outraged? Outraged, angry. Now he's not angry. He's not outraged at the people that are grieving. He's outraged. The idea is he is outraged at death. He is angry at the pain that sin and death has caused in our world. He's acknowledging that the natural order of things has been broken by sin and death. And he's outraged, but outrage wasn't his only emotion that day. Look at verses 34 and 35. Jesus said, where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord, they replied. And look at verse 35. It just simply says, Jesus wept. Now, the way that they mourned in ancient Israel is a lot different than the way that we mourn here in the United States. We tend to make mourning kind of a private, quiet affair. When my mom passed away a few years ago, I I remember thinking, I wish I had cried more, but it just didn't seem appropriate. Isn't that weird? At your mom's death, it's like, "I, I should probably hold it together. That's not the way they did this in ancient Israel. Women would wail. Men would shout in grief. So when John tells us that Jesus wept, we get the sense that Jesus was letting his emotions go. And this is important for us because for those of us that follow Jesus, we see Jesus as the son of God, God in the flesh, but here we get to see his humanity, his emotions come out. He's grieved, his good friend died. He, he feels with empathy for the people around him that are grieving. And so I think it's safe to say that he really let his emotions out, but here's what maybe you need to be reminded of today. Jesus knows your pain. Jesus understands your pain and Jesus feels your pain. He is not immune to the effects of pain. And so when you grieve, he grieves with you. God weeps at the things in life that break our heart because he loves us that much. Look at verse 38. Jesus once again, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. And he said, take away the stone, But Lord, listen to this, but Lord, Martha said, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor for it's been four days. Now two things here. This is the second time that four days is mentioned. He's dead. And if you read the King James version, Martha says, Lord, by this time he stinketh. It reeks, you don't want to open, like please do us all a favor. No one wants that, okay? Now here's the point. Four days is mentioned, he's dead. Don't open it up. He stinks. Nobody's expecting this man to come back from the dead. Well, look at what happens next. Verse 40. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefits of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. Now, in the midst of grief and tears and sadness, Jesus prays a verbal out loud prayer and says, God, I know you hear me. But for your sake, I pray that you would help these people to see so that they would believe. And then look at what he does, verse 43. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Now the Greek word for loud voice can also be translated as a shout of raw authority. So Jesus didn't whisper Lazarus's name. He commanded, Lazarus, come out. He was commanding that death release its hold on his friend. And look at what happens, verse 44. The dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said, take off the grave's clothes and let him go. Apparently people were looking at him like, what do we do? He's alive, unwrap him. With one shout of raw authority, Jesus raised his friend from the dead and he put death in its place. And can you imagine the shift in emotion from grief to shock, to joy and amazement? Imagine Mary and Martha, tears of sadness, quickly to tears of joy, Imagine the shouts, the laughter, the celebration. All of a sudden, something that everybody thought was impossible has just taken place in front of their very eyes. This is an amazing miracle. And John tells us that many went on to believe, but not everybody. If you keep reading, you discover that the Jewish religious leaders refused. Oh, they were so angry that Jesus brought this guy back from the dead. And so, you know what they did? They did what Thomas Jefferson did. They decided it was time to cut him out of the story. And they keep working on this plan to kill Jesus. And if you read to the end of all the gospel accounts, you're going to discover they get exactly what they want. They have Jesus killed, but what they didn't anticipate was that Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead was just a preview of his own resurrection that he had been predicting for the last three years. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is either a really clever man-made legend that all of us have bought into, or it's the greatest event in all of human history. And the way that you view it comes down to one word. It's belief. Do you believe that that's possible? Now, the gospel of John is often referred to as the gospel of belief. John uses the word believe 98 different times. I want you to see how John ends his gospel in John 20 verses 31 through 33, 30, 30, through 31. This is after the resurrection. John writes this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but they are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You believe or you, the purpose of this is that you believe and you put your faith in who Jesus is. You read these stories, you hear these stories and you respond in belief. So when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life and then he proves it, he says, you can trust me. And this is his invitation to those of us that follow him to trust in the power of his resurrection life, alive and active in every one of us through faith. Now, I know many of you are like me. You, you remember the day that you put your trust in Jesus but the everyday troubles of life weigh in on you, don't they? And if you're like me, I'm like Martha. I'm like, yes, Lord, I believe, but there's so much happening right now, it's just hard for me to believe that that power is alive and active for me today. But Jesus says, I am the resurrection, the life, and he backed it up in this story and with his own resurrection. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, I wanna encourage you today. This is how we need to encourage one another. When we're down, when life seems impossible, when death knocks on our door, I think we need to encourage one another with, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Because even though we die, Jesus says, oh, you'll live, I will raise you from the dead. I can do anything. And so this is his invitation to us. But I also know that there's some people here online, in this room, you've been walking the fence of faith and you're investigating and you like the teachings of Jesus. The teachings of Jesus make us wanna be a better person, but Jesus says, no, 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 I want you to believe in me so you can have eternal life. And so I wanna give all of us an opportunity to respond to him today. And so I'm gonna ask you to trust me. And I wanna invite you right now to close your eyes. We're gonna pray together. And I would even invite you to put your hands out open in front of you, because I'm gonna ask you to receive something from God today. If you've been following Jesus for a while now, but you feel overwhelmed and burdened with the stress of life and you want to know how to respond today in the midst of everything that's going on in your life, I want to invite you to pray the same prayer that Martha prayed. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. You can pray that right where you are. You've been following him, but you need to pray that prayer. I need to pray that prayer day after day after day after day. Yes, Lord, I believe. I believe. And you're opening your hands to receive his resurrection power through the gift of the Holy Spirit. But the same thing is true for those of us that are walking the fence of faith. I want to invite you to hold your hands out. And maybe for the very first time today, you will pray. Yes, Jesus, I believe. I have so many doubts and I'm so skeptical. And he's like, that's okay. You just come to me. You believe in me. I died in your place. I'm inviting you to receive resurrection life today. Now, I want you to keep your eyes closed. I'm gonna close my eyes and I'm gonna give all of you a chance to respond right now. If today is the first day that you've ever prayed that prayer of faith, Jesus, I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God. I wanna invite you to raise your hand, not for me, but for you to say, Jesus, I'm I'm raising my hand. I believe that you are who you claim to be. And I want to experience your resurrection life. You just took a step of faith. You took two steps of faith. And I want to invite you to take another step now. Come and find me or Nikki or Kevin or Joel or Michael after service. We would love to celebrate that decision with you and help you take a next step in your journey of faith with Jesus. But if you've received Jesus in faith today, you've crossed from death to life. You have received the power of his resurrection just through faith and belief, that's all he requires. But for those of us that have been following Jesus for a while, if, you, if you've prayed that prayer again today, I wanna to invite you to raise your hand. It's important that we take steps of faith on a regular basis, raise your hand. I'm raising both of my hands. Jesus, we need you. Jesus, we want to experience your resurrection power in our life right now through the anxiety, through the depression, through all the troubles, Jesus, you are the resurrection and the life. And we believe that you will raise us all from the dead someday. But now you've come to live inside of us to give us spiritual life right now, eternal life right now. Would you help us to embrace that, to walk in that, to live in that, to respond to that, to share that, resurrection life. Jesus, we love you. We are so thankful that you would die for us, but you did not stay dead. Father, you came to raise your son so that we can raise with him. Through Jesus, we are forgiven. We are filled by your Holy Spirit. Father, we say thank you. Help us to embrace and live out this resurrection life today. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.